we've just come out of Joshua, Judges, and we're talking about First Samuel. And remember, Pastor Sylvia was sharing, and you've read, you know, that Joshua, once he died, um, the nation of Israel entered the days of the judges. That's, uh, you know, where there was no centralized government is essentially what that was about. And you can read about most of the judges in the book of judges. So during this time, um, God would raise up individuals is what we were reading about. He's, he was raising up individuals to deliver Israel from her enemies. And the book of judges tells us about 12 judges. And then we move into first Samuel and we're introduced to two more. And the two more were Eli and Samuel and Samuel was the last, um, of Israel's judges from the time of the judges, because after Samuel, um, Israel is then led by kings. So Samuel is part of a transition between the judges and the kings. And so Samuel was the last judge of all Israel, and he was a prophet that God raised up. And so the Bible tells of many um, significant adults in it, but there's only a handful of significant pregnancies like Isaac and Ishmael, um, Jacob and Esau, Samson, John the Baptist, and Jesus are the others. Um, but here, you know, also we're going to read about, which you've probably already covered, um, Samuel. He's one of those significant pregnancies. And we meet Samuel's parents before we meet him in scripture. So his mother, Hannah, she can't have children, but God hears her prayers and he opens her womb and he blesses her with this child who will be called Samuel. And so I'm going to just read some of the scriptures because, of course, it's God's word that has promised not to return void. So even though you've read it, I feel that it's important that we look at it again, that we see it, that we mull it over. And I want to point out like a succession of what God is saying, at least what the Holy Spirit was showing me. So there was a man named Elkanah that we read about in the scripture, and he lived in the mountains of Israel, and he had two wives, um, Paniah and Hannah. And Hannah, you know, like I said, had no children, but Elkna, he would go up every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord in this place called Shiloh in Israel. And that place is still literally there today, and it's still called Shiloh. And they actually have uh, marked out where the tabernacle would have been um, in that particular uh, place of Shiloh. And this is uh, the very place, you know, where the Ark of the Lord dwelt for 360 years. Um, basically, he just parked camp because, you know, they would follow the Lord through the wilderness with a cloud um, by day and a pillar of fire by night. But uh, they would not move unless they saw the cloud move or unless the fire moved, I guess. But um, unless they saw it move, that's how they knew they were put that the Lord was moving them. So for 360 years, they were parked there in Shiloh. And so the priest that was at the tabernacle in Shiloh, his name was Eli, and he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And 1 Samuel 4 says, and whenever the time came for Elkna to make an offering, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. The Bible says that Hannah would go up to the house of the Lord year by year, and every time she would go, she would get provoked by her rival, the other wife, Elkanah's other wife. And she wept because she really wanted a child. 
And so I really want to stop right here for a second and just address the fact that Elkanah had two wives, because I think it's worth saying again that the Bible is a true book and it is giving us the history of what happened. And a lot of the things we see in the history of what happened aren't necessarily the things that God wanted to take place. It's the it's the way humanity played out in that time. And God is allowing us to be taught from these real stories. And so. When we see that someone had multiple wives in the Old Testament, it's important to understand, you know, that we're reading the, the account of someone's life and we're reading that history because just because that situation is recorded in the Bible, it doesn't mean that God approved of it. So I, I, I just want to make sure we're getting that um, and keeping that in mind as we're reading it. So we'll continue on. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? And in this passage, we see that he's a husband who's basically, he's just trying to lovingly console his wife. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul. So she was weeping bitterly. And she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So I want to say something else here. The face of religion in this time was the high priest Eli, and his two sons were doing evil in the sight of God. Yet to the people, this is where they turned if they wanted to engage with God. It appeared safe enough. You know, you brought your sacrifices. They probably heard some standard prayer and, and then maybe went on their merry way. The high priest Eli didn't know Hannah's life story. She was barren, which was a curse in those days and was being taunted by, you know, her husband's other wife. So Hannah came to the tabernacle to genuinely come before the Lord. And so we read in um, these verses, you know, that she was in this bitterness of soul and Eli thinks she's drunk. And so I want us to think about this. Religion doesn't recognize a true relationship with God. Eli was used to seeing and hearing and doing the ritual rituals of religion, which basically was devoid of any real life. So when Hannah came showing real emotion, you know, it appeared odd to this religious leader. Many years later, Jesus even said, as he began to teach in parables, and, you know, uh, we read about it in Luke chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, he says, then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And he said, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it's given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. 
Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Well, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. So you'll understand, I think, if you haven't already gotten what the outcome is for Eli and his sons, you'll understand why I would say these things about particularly Eli when we move a little further in the story. But ultimately, religion just can't understand God. And those adhering to various tenets, to the rules and the rituals um, underlying in any religion might appear to be in a relationship, but really their faith is dead. Religion can't really say, or not can't really, it can't save anyone. God never called his children into religion. He called us into a relationship with him. And the relationship is real. It's not just reading words on a page. This is a living word of God, and it is a living relationship. It's active. And it's just like a relationship between a spouse or between parents and children. But religion occurs when it's not a relationship that the person is truly desiring. It's when somebody just wants to check the boxes and fulfill their obligations, you know, then religious uh, a religion actually would seem to be the perfect and the safe option. And in general, it generally means um, when you're being religious that you don't have to do anything that appears to be too much out of the norm. Then the Lord heard her prayer and Hannah became pregnant. So the word, the, the scriptures say, uh, when she had weaned her son, the Bible says she took him up with her and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord for this, this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I have also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So Hannah is leaving her toddler with Eli, the priest in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verse 12, we read, now the sons of Eli, the priest that she's leaving her son with, they were corrupt. They did not know the Lord, it says. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. But Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest. Each year, his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him, when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. I mean, really how precious that little robe must have been and how precious the task of making it must have been to this little mama. But moving down to verse 22, now Eli, the priest, he was very old. This is very important here, what he's saying. It says, scripture says, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I've been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against, sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, why do you honor your sons more than me? He was speaking of God. 
Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests, but I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. That's really eye-opening. It really is because who does God say that he is? He's a, like a rock. He changes not. This is how he feels. This is what he is saying. I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. And any idea who the faithful priest that he's talking about that he's going to raise up? Well, we all know that it's Yeshua in Hebrew. It's Jesus. So here's the uh, scripture in 1 Samuel. Now, this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. Now, in chapter three, we see that Samuel is still a boy and the Lord began to call him audibly. The Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and laid down. Then the Lord called again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. I really like this stops me in my tracks reading this, like what the Lord thinks about this situation and the responsibility that he imputed to Eli for not disciplining his sons over this thing of blaspheming the Lord. And I believe there's, you know, something that we need to see you know, regarding our responsibility as parents, you know, in training up our children in the way that they should go and to restrain them from walking in evil under our own roof. And there does come a point where we don't have control over the choices that our children make. But for the areas that we do have control, I believe that we're seeing here that the Lord expects us to do all we can to restrain evil when it's coming from our own household. Now, Eli did actually address it with them. We just heard him tell his sons, this is wicked. You've got to stop sinning. But obviously the Lord expected him to do more than that. I mean, maybe we can talk about that in the discussion. What things could Eli maybe have done? That's interesting just to consider why was God so um, 
serious about imputing this as sin to Eli, when he did address it with them, he's talking to them, he's trying to get them to stop. What more should he have done? And I just want you to think about that until we get to the end for discussion. There came a day in the not so distant future after this prophecy was spoken over Eli about his sons, um, when the armies of Israel went out to battle with the Philistines and the ark of God was captured. First Samuel 4, beginning in verse 10, says, So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So to recap, let's recall that we just what we just read in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, that the Lord had declared that both of Eli's sons would die in one day. So this was it. This was the fulfillment of that word of God. There are a couple of questions here to answer, like, you know, uh, maybe what was in the ark? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but the Bible does tell us um, it was also referred to as the ark of the covenant or the testimony. And it's essentially it was a large box made of wood and covered in gold. Um, and it was described in the book of Exodus, like how it was to be made. It also had two gold poles for carrying it on the priest's shoulders. And inside of the box, what it held was the stone tablets that were the Ten Commandments. And it also had a gold jar containing some of the manna that had fed the Israelites while they were in the wilderness, which was the bread from heaven. Um, and it had Aaron's staff in it. So the second question would be, why did God allow the Ark of God to be captured and Shiloh to be destroyed. But we actually find the answer in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 12. And it says, But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people. And now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place which I gave, gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. So we see that God allowed the ark to be captured and the tabernacle in Shiloh to be destroyed because God was speaking and the people were not listening. They weren't responding to him. And the consequence of that, he's saying, I'm going to allow the house that's called by my name. You know what that is to us in our day? It's the church. Doesn't he say judgment begins in the house of God? He says, I'm going to allow this to be destroyed. You know, I'm going to do to it as I've done to Shiloh. Because he is no respecter of persons. Like his, he is serious about his word, about performing it. And he's watching over it. And it's important that we are listening. This is why he says today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your hearts like in the rebellion. But then the Bible tells us that the ark was taken to a few different places and the people in the places where it would settle, they kept wanting to send it back because everywhere that it went, people were getting tumors or things were happening and they were dying. So the end result was that, as you would imagine, under those circumstances, the ark was finally returned. Now in Samuel chapter seven, the ark of the covenant's back. And then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then 
put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the asterisks and they served the Lord only. And isn't this the same uh, admonition for us today and for those who have wandered from the faith, return to the Lord with all of your heart. Put away the idolatry of this world. Put away the things of this world that you have been captivated by and prepare your hearts for the Lord to serve him only. It is the same message today. The Lord tells us, what is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He wants us to prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts. You know, he's coming for a bride who has made herself ready. Someone who's prepared their heart, who's returned to the Lord with all of their heart, who really loves him and is putting lamp oil in their lamps, which is the word of the Lord. In chapter eight, Samuel is now old and he has two sons of his own. And in verse three, it says, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And the elders of Israel came together to say to Samuel, look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. The important thing to notice here is that the people of Israel should have never had a king to rule over them. God intended to be their king. He is their king. He's the king of kings. He was their I am, their everything, their provider, their defender, their help in times of trouble, their sustainer. They had seen miracle after miracle of the Lord delivering them, you know, through the wilderness. He was everything. He was providing for them. But the people wanted a physical king. They wanted to be ruled over by someone that they could see and talk to in person. So God is acknowledging their request. He's upset about it. But he's acknowledging their request, and he's also acknowledging that these people are rejecting him as their sovereign ruler. So Samuel explains to them that this king that they want will make them and their sons and their daughters servants. First Samuel 8 verse 18 begins, and you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we want a king. Give us our king that we may also be like all the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us to fight our battles. When the people demand a national king, God then directs Samuel to anoint Saul as the first king over Israel. And we're about to get into that part of scripture where we're going to learn all about King Saul. And he was you know, the Bible tells us he was a tall man from the tribe of Benjamin. 
But Saul doesn't turn out so well in the end. And God later has Samuel um, anoint a young shepherd named David as the future king. That's going to take a whole nother turn in itself. But we're moving into that time now. And we're closing up this period of the judges. And I don't want to um, continue on with much more because I think there's plenty for us to talk about in this. So Lord willing, we will have some good participation this evening. You know, God had established a theocracy. We've talked about theocracy before, you know, but he had established that in Israel and God was to be their perfect king, but the people no longer wanted the arrangement. They had been given, you know, so much by God, the miracles, his sovereign protection, impossible victories in battle and on and on, but they didn't want their king anymore. They wanted one of their own making. And then roughly 1000 years later, we come to Jesus, their king, but they rejected him also for the same reasons. And it's not that they didn't recognize him for who he was. He performed countless miracles and he fulfilled about 300 prophecies in his first coming. In John chapter three, in the New Testament, verse two, from Nicodemus, one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin in Israel, we read, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. So they're acknowledging, we know you've come from God. And he says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. In John 12, 42 and 43, we read, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. That means being put out of the church for us, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday, um, he came in as their king. And we read that the shouts from the crowd, you know, the response were, um, then the response in, after that comes from the Pharisees in Luke 19. And it was, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's what they were declaring on Palm Sunday. And they were accepting him as the, as the king. You know, he doing all these miracles. He was feeding people with the fish and the loaves. And some of the Pharisees called out to him from the crowd. And they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus was praised for the multitudes actually believed that um, they were expecting the one who would conquer Rome. They were thinking that that was the one ha that had arrived. They were thinking he was going to be the conqueror to come and basically overthrow the government. That's what they were expecting him to do. This is why they were on Palm Sunday saying Hosanna in the highest and waving their palm branches. But when their vision of what their king was to do proved to be incorrect when he was going to be meek and submissive and he was going to be hung on a cross. Nobody expected that. We read the response in John. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered them him to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and they led him away. And so here we are 2000 years later. And our king has not changed. He's still the same, perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God of the entire universe. And as he did with the Israelites, he offered to be their king, not by force, not by coercion, but by choice. But he was rejected by the people because they chose another leader. Then Jesus came and again, 
He didn't force himself on anyone, but he offered himself as the suffering servant for all humanity. He ushered in his kingdom to all who were willing to make the choice to accept him. But as we know, the majority rejected him, and here we are again. It's obvious that we're incapable of ruling ourselves. We're in a swamp of godlessness. Many are missing our king even now, just as they did so many years ago, because they're really just desiring a king of their own making. Many are looking for a different Jesus. But the God of the Bible is still offering himself to anyone who wants to choose to be his disciple. So are we, this is a question, his children making him known to those around us? Though many are probably going to ignore or reject the offer, as in the times of the past, because he's not the king that they desire, that's out of our control. But what is in our control is to make the offer known. And that is the Great Commission, that we are to... Um, go out into the world. We're supposed to be declaring this word of the Lord, teaching them to do all that he has commanded. So I've got some questions that I've put up on the screen. I'll read them off and then we can just sort of open it up for um, anyone to just kind of jump in with wherever we are, with what, whoever wants to leave with a question, whichever one sounds good to you, we can start there. But do you think that God still feels the same today as when he said in 1 Samuel but I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. What do you think of how God viewed Eli's responsibility as a father when the Lord said, because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them, that this was sin to Eli? Is there a requirement for us today regarding how we raise our children? And are you willing to stand by the word of God, even if other professing believers are preaching or teaching a different message here or there that departs from the truth because it's twisting scriptures, or do you struggle with the fear of man more than the fear of God? So I think we'll just start there. Eli's two sons were horrible, and so was Samuel's. Uh, just the, the difference in the, then the um, what happened to Samuel's sons. I mean, they were horrible, probably not as horrible as Eli's, but again, you know, same scenario in terms of, uh, you know, having two sons and they're not doing the right things. Um, and as far as me being willing to stand by God, that's something that, you know, I'm always uh, in prayer about God. If, if I ever, if I'm ever in communication or we're talking about it and people don't agree or don't believe in God, I always know that I, I'm going to always say, this is how, as, as, um, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the way I feel. That's and preferably that's will always be the way I feel about him because without him, I see no hope in life. I don't know how people exist without him. Um, and I probably covered a lot of stuff. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But you know, I think there's another aspect as well, because I think it with when we're dealing with um unbelievers, um, we definitely can take that stand you know, against, you know, not operating in like the same wickedness or, you know, just uh, there's some separation in terms of the things we're not going to do or the people we're not going to be around, that kind of thing. But I think my question in, in this particular one is to think about those that are believers, you know, mm -hmm. that are we willing to, because he was speaking of in that scripture, 
of the, those in the synagogue. They were afraid to be kicked out of the synagogue. Um, and so they were fearing the opinions of man rather than fearing God because mm-hmm. they weren't willing to stand for the truth, even in the house of the Lord. Um, and so, you know, we're in this day and age where there's lots of opinions and many mm-hmm. of them differ and have been certainly watered down from the truth of scriptures. And so in those instances, on the things that are fundamentally wrong with, um, you know, that can mislead people, what have you, are we willing to, to stand for the truth um, and, and really risk our reputation, risk our friendships with people in church, with friends that are Christians, just to set, to be the voice of truth. That's like the voice in the wilderness crying out Absolutely. and standing Absolutely. on God says, you know, because mm-hmm. there's so much compromise now with the agendas of, you know, becoming more worldly in the church, like mm-hmm. the homosexual pastors and, you know, really kind of going along to get along with the world. But in those instances, again, we would have to be willing to, to stand up and be a voice of truth um, and, and not fear uh, man, but fear God, you know, know that we're going to be accountable to him. And our silence is agreement, you know, when right. we go along Absolutely. to get along. So, you know, do we see through what we've just read in Samuel, these requirements of God, do we see the weight of how serious he is? Because see, God hasn't changed. This is the one thing we have to remember in all of this. Mm -hmm. What has happened for us with Jesus coming is he made a way for us. He, um, so what has been done away with were some of the ordinances for atonement because he has fulfilled that by being that sacrifice that's once and for all. So that part's finished, but the rest, you know, the law and who God is in itself. I love that we're, what we're able to see is the character of God. We're able to see what he thinks about something. He really, this is his heart. This is what he's thought about that situation and how he wanted to deal with it because he was that upset about it. So to me, it just makes me evaluate myself in that way and even wonder you know, am I doing the right things? Like, is it enough? Because that was my question earlier when we were talking about Eli um, to be thinking about, Mm -hmm. does anybody have a thought on what else could Eli have done? You know, because I read that and I kind of want to think, well, I I felt like he was doing what he was supposed to do. He was saying, stop. He was saying, you know, you guys can't do this. Like, this is wicked. Obviously he didn't agree with it, but that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. So what could he have done? And one of my thoughts is he probably should have removed them from their position. There's, mm-hmm. I don't know. He should, he, there should have been some discipline to, you know, um, get them out of that role because the blaspheming God had to come through one. They were treating the offerings and the sacrifices lightly, but also they were having sexual relations with the women at the door of the tabernacle. He was, they were meeting women there. And all of that sort of stuff was going on. So it's like in their role, um, they might not have been openly blaspheming God, but it was the fact that they were held to a higher standard because of the fact that they were the priests of the Lord. And so that is a blast. It was an abomination and a, a blaspheming him because in that role, it's just a higher, it's, it's a higher level, a higher, you know, just like Pastor Sylvia said, there's to be standard bearers. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I'm just actually curious because I don't have all the answers on this. I mean, and we've talked about before, none of us have the answers, but it's good for us to talk through it. I'll just kind of share some things in reference to that and then address Mary's question when she asked, you know, because she's right. Sol I mean, Sam um, Samuel's son did not adhere and follow that principle. What's the difference? Amen. So let's go back and look at Eli and Eli's son. Here's what the problem is. They were absolutely wrong. They were priests. They were having sex with the women inside of the temple. They're defiling it. Before the people could make their offerings to the Lord, they were taking it. They were sending it to their servants before it was boiled, before it was burned, before it was offered, any of those things. So much so the servants was like, give it to us now. When the people would say, well, let us do the proper way in which we're supposed to offer it to the Lord first, then you could have it. They said, mm -mm, give it to us now or we're going to take it by force. Praise the Lord. Now, it's an interesting thing. The Bible says this in what they were doing and they made themselves fat. Amen. So, yes, he mentioned what the sons were doing, but he was consuming he was consuming the offerings that they were bringing. So what could he have done? Yes, he could have had them to sit down. Look, you're defiling God, you're done. No more. But also, don't eat it. God said it this way. He said the wages of a prostitute is not supposed to be offered into my house. It is not in any shape, form, or fashion to pay for, to cover, do any of those things. So what is God telling us? He's telling us that the things that come by illegal gain should never be used or received in the house of the Lord. There is a reason why the Holy Spirit tells us that Eli was not just blind, but he was also overweight. That means he's consuming the things that his sons were taking from the people. So he's showing a disrespect for the things that should have been offered to God. God laid it out in Leviticus in how Moses and his sons were to receive it, even where they were to eat it, everything. So that was distinguishing God's holiness. They were to be the standard bearers. Eli was no longer the standard bearer. It's one thing to hit your children on the hand, to swat their hand and say, no, no, no. But then you're cond condoning it. I'm going to give you an example of this. My son says this to me, and he means well. And he said, mom, he said, you know, I really would love to build you a church. He said, now, if I was to go out and I was to do some illegal activity, my son is not, so let me clarify that. He said, and I got a million dollars and I built you a, a, a church. Would, would that make, I said, absolutely not. Mm -mm. Son, if you cannot get it legally, don't build nothing for God because that's an abomination. Amen. And so if I problem was that he barely chastised them. He didn't take actions. And he was also approving of their action because he's eating from that table. God's table is not supposed to be defiled. Samuel's sons were not following after Samuel's path. 
And that happens because the enemy, he can't get you and you're in ministry. He will attack your children. But Samuel himself never, never went back on the word of God. That's why when he was saying, when he was getting ready to retire, if, if I took a cow from you, if I took a bride, if I did any of those things, tell me now, address them now so we can address this situation. So it wasn't just that God was holding Eli responsible for his grown children. He was holding him responsible because they were in the office of the priest and he as the senior priest or the main priest did not address that and the things that they received illegal by illegal gains, not honoring the offering, he was consuming them. There's a reason why Holy Spirit told us the condition physically that he was in. And the Bible says, and they made themselves fat from those offerings. Um, it makes a whole lot of sense what you just said. And I had not connected the dots until you laid that out like that. So praise the Lord. Um, yeah. And I'll just say this quickly. Yeah. And when you talked about God being the same yesterday, today, and forever, he laid it out in Leviticus. He didn't throw it away when they got to 1 Samuel. The same standards for the priests. And we all need to hear this, hear this as Christians. The same standards that he laid out in Leviticus. I'm talking about as far as holiness, as far as how the priests were to relate to him and honor him and his offerings. And our offering is a greater offering. So if God did not want them to disrespect a bull, a goat, or sheep, there is no way we should disrespect the Lamb of God. Amen. We need to understand that. And, uh, and so he had laid it out. That's what the problem was. Eli knew they were wrong, but he loved his sons more than he loved his God. And so therefore, he let them get away with what they were doing instead of saying, Oh, not in this house. You know, yeah, he said that, but it did not, it didn't mean anything to God. Because if it did, God wouldn't have sent a prophet to tell him. And then the prophet tells him he still doesn't take any action. Do you see him repent for his children's behavior? He didn't do that either. Then even when, um, you know, Samuel comes, because God now is talking to Samuel, Samuel tells him there's still no repentance. What he says is, let God do what is good in his eyes. It was his heart had been hardened because of what he's consuming. And he got into the stuff instead of the God. So we got to be real careful. We got to be real careful. You know, and if you know someone is selling drugs and they are running a prostitute ring and you got a building fund in your church, do not take that and think God is well pleased. He's not. Don't, don't say, well, God blessed us. Or, you know, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody. This drug dealer wants to make a donation to the church. He's coming. He's not leaving that lifestyle, but now he's paying tithes and offerings. Mm -mm. You need to take them tithes and offerings and give them back. Brother man, you need to be saved and delivered. We're going to work with you on that, but mm -mm, you cannot 
bring stuff from Satan's kingdom and dedicate it to God. And God is going to say, bless your soul. It doesn't work that way. I, I just want to say I agree. And um, to the extent we were at a, at a congregation I attended, there was a, a woman who was um, coming to like our Torah studies and and she was a lesbian and, and that wasn't an issue at the time because she was coming and studying and it was but she took the leader aside and she said can I make a donation and the leader said to her I'm sorry but we can't take your money at this time because you are definitely in a position where you are not living according to God's word and so she was like, oh, okay. And it wasn't that she wasn't welcome, but they said, we don't want the offering because right now you're not in that kind of a position. Um, so yeah, so I understand that you're saying, and, and I don't know that, I don't know that churches are as um, conscientious about that about where money comes from in so many different ways and that's that's one of those things that's probably why we have such an issue with our churches today i'm just saying yeah no i think there's a lot of truth to this it's an interesting topic because it's not one that i've heard in church before you know about um what pastor sylvia just brought up with these tithes and offerings and coming in from an unholy source or what have you. So thank you for sharing that testimony though, because it gives us real life application that uh, has happened. It's happening today. Praise the Lord. Um, Deb, do you have um, a comment or thought you want to share? I saw your hand up. Yeah. My question, my comment really had to go back to the very beginning of the, of the questions about honor and honoring your mother and father and, and, uh, so it takes it more on a, on a personal and an individual level. And I, I was just immediately reminded that the first commandment that was given with a promise was honor your mother and father. And uh, of all the commandments, that was the first one that came with a, a promise that all shall go well with you. And so on an individual level, the, the children of Eli certainly didn't honor their father in, in his uh his position and his admonition to them. And then of course, Eli himself didn't honor his father, God, by doing something about it. But I find it to bring it to, to, um, so the question I think started, is it still important to God today? And I think it's absolutely important. And the irony I find in life is when pre-believers will want to say, or, or unbelievers will say, but we're, you know, we're all children of God. And so in their hearts, they want to be in that family. And in the family, there's huge, uh, huge benefits becoming an heir and that sort of thing. And they want that, but they don't want to honor their, their father. They don't want to honor their parent in that respect. But I, I, I believe that it was, it is and will be as important to God as it was at the beginning and uh, that when we become children of God, that's what he wants from us is that honor. And with that comes the promise that he gives. And that was kind of what was milling around my mind when you first asked your first question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if they had actually followed his example from the start, it would have gone well probably with all of them because it seems that Eli was actually influenced as Pastor Sylvia is pointing out by his sons 
So yeah, that was certainly a downfall, not honoring their father. But I also think that it goes into, I agree with you, but remember God puts the beginning of that on uh, the parents and the parents are to discipline their children. And Eli's sons were doing what they did uh, to me because the way they blew him off, it may be an indication of his parenting style. That's a really good point. Really good point. For Bobby, sure. It's, it is the parent's responsibility. To train the child up in the way they're supposed to go. Now, some of you may be shocked by this, but my parents believed in spanking. And every time I got a spanking, my mom would quote the Bible to me and tell me what the Bible said in reference to that. I thank God today that she did. You know, I really do break the sapling while it is young. She said, I'm not talking about a tree. God is telling me to do this to you. I need to teach you right from wrong. And so there were certain things that I knew. Uh, an example would be, I personally never used, you know, wicked cursing because my mom said it was wicked and I didn't want to be wicked. So I did not. So I didn't have to have God change my speech with curse words. They just never fit into my mouth because my mom did not play that, you know? So again, we have to look at, and perhaps even with Samuel, Samuel was making his circuit going from place to place. So was he there? to discipline his sons. And their recall was seeing what Eli's and his sons were doing and hearing about what they did, amen. The devil will come in to try to get our children, but also if we're not there, then someone else or something else will fill in that gap. There are things, I'm 60 some years old, my mother and my father instilled in me with discipline that I will not do today. Amen. I see someone else's hands up. So, um, good evening, everyone. Um, the uh, question about Eli and 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 what should he have done more? And the scripture that came to mind for me was in Job one, when Job said um, about his children, you know how he he made a sacrifice. Um, uh, I, I call it the just in case prayer. Just in case my kids are doing something wrong, I don't know, or I do know. I, I kind of I, I pray, and that um, is interceding, you know, in this um, interceding on their behalf, but also being um, that parent to come out and say and hold them accountable, but also make it known that this this um this is not correct. This is not what God's will is for you um, your or, or whatever lifestyle you have or anything like that. I think that we need to, and we think that because when our kids turn 18, then, then the discipline stops. Um, I have two grown daughters and, um, and the discipline does not stop. You know, I still have to correct. And I think it's one thing that uh, for my grandchildren to see that, that mommy doesn't stop when I turn 18 or mommy doesn't, um, you know, it, it's always going to be that, um, I guess, uh, always that, that, uh, as they grow older and, and, and I see things or I hear things, and then I have to make that correction and explain to them, this is not, this is not appropriate. This is not appropriate living. This is not appropriate talking. This is not appropriate actions. So you always have to make sure that you let them know that. So I believe that, um, 
as a parent, as a mother and a grandmother, that the discipline or the, um, uh, it continues on. It continues on. It doesn't stop when they get a certain age. It doesn't stop even when they're older. And we're talking about Eli's older children. Yes, he still he still needs to be responsible or have, should have been more responsible and not go along with the status quo. And we see that in a lot of parenting now is when our kids raise their hand up and say, well, you know what, I'm transgender. We jump right on the bandwagon. What can I do to help you? Rather than let's sit down and let's know this is not this is not correct. This is not this is not of God. And we, we tend to com compromise everything when we I've, I've seen it from parents who um, they're staunch on, you know, homosexuality or whatever sin is, you know, all sins. And then all of a sudden, as soon as their children turn to that sin, they jump on the bandwagon with them and like, we're going to we're going gonna to help you with this. We're going to work together on this. I'm going to support you in this. And that's not being correct either. That's a really good point, Connie. We can't celebrate what God hates and abhors. We can't. We can't participate and call what is wrong good and what is good wrong. You know, um, very good point. Anyone else have something that you want to share? Even if it's not one of the questions, I'll share another question uh, because, you know, Israel didn't want a king over them. And, you know, humanity tends to have very have a lot of similarities from generation to generation and we see that many people today don't want a king so even as professing believers um what does it mean for jesus to be the lord of your life for him to truly be your king what does that mean so whether you want to answer one of the other questions or that one i just wanted to throw out another one for anyone who might want to share mary uh had said earlier about worrying about stupid questions. And in my opinion, there are no stupid questions. You know, we're family and we're all in different places and we should all be free to say anything because that's how we learn. Um, I have many questions at times and I have asked and, um, you know, a lot of times I take it to Jesus and I say, I really don't understand this. And I'm just so grateful for our body of Christ. So, I hope that we all feel encouraged and that we can all ask any questions and that there is just love here. The love of Christ is here. And um, we just want, you know, I just want everyone to know that. But where I am in my walk is just abiding in him. And I want to know him. I want to see him for who he is, like Moses did, saw God for who he was. And so that's where I am with the Lord. I'm seeking him chasing after him. I have ups and downs. And sometimes I feel uh, like a kid where I don't want to go into my prayer closet because I feel ashamed for maybe something I've done. But then as soon as I run to my father and then I start talking, it's so beautiful because he meets me there. Um, but wanting to do his will and wanting to please him and love him and love him and that he is the top priority, that he's the king of kings, that he is my everything, that he is in his rightful place, and that the things of this world grow dim. Uh, that's just kind of how I, where I am and what I think of when I think of Jesus as Lord. And um, my husband, my beloved, my friend, and my father God. Um, 
And so I'm just learning and learning intimacy and walking with him as best I can and getting better each day. Amen. Hallelujah. That's a beautiful testimony, Chantel, and a great description of allowing him to be the Lord of your life. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? I, I, Chantel, thank you for saying that because I do know for a fact that I feel that everywhere on the line probably would have some question or something that they would want to say with beginning to have that freedom to start to talk. I mean, this is our second year in and um, I probably didn't say a whole lot last year. Everybody that know me probably know I have a lot to say and I don't. Uh, <laughs> don't say anything silly. Don't say anything, Eleanor. It's the truth. I do. But, you know, but I'm, I'm more of a one-on-one -on -one kind of person and that's kind of the way I am. Um, but I, the one thing that, and I'm bringing this up because it's been on my mind for two weeks, Bernie was doing his message and he talked about the numbers. We never got back to that. And, I, and so I'm putting it in the atmosphere because I'm the same. I see 222-111-555. And I'm asking, and this has been going on for over a year. And I'm saying, what is this? I don't have an answer, answer to it. And he talked about it in, one of, in his message last time. And we got into so many other things that we never got back to it. So I would love to do that. Um, but I do want, I want to, to feel like, I don't like Zoom. And of course, Sylvia knows this, but I am embracing it. You have not seen my face and I am embracing it, but I do uh, enjoy this. And I also, you know, it is my prayer that we will all start to feel so relaxed around the table that we can really get to this place of just having a conversation, just like we are having a conversation with our father in heaven, you know, and, um, and he loves to hear our voice. So that's what I continue to say. He loves to hear our voice and he would love to hear us in this setting as well. Amen. This is so good because you're right. And it's, um, it is something we wanted to foster from the beginning, just encouraging everyone to get to that place to, you know, recognize that none of us have all the answers. We really don't. We're really just relying on the Holy Spirit to lead us and to teach us. And we learn truly through the testimonies as well of one another and even allowing, you know, different insights, perspectives to come through as we share what, what God has shown us individually or what you see in the scriptures, it's beautiful. And, and, you know, so really it's like allowing God to lead us through the participation. And that's actually how the original church started. It was, it was house churches and, you know, there was no original leaders in the house church until God raised up the leaders in the group, but it was people that got together to worship the Lord together, to read the scriptures and to just be led by the spirit. So praise the Lord. We're seeking to emulate and do the same thing. Did you want to address any, uh, Mary was talking about the numbers and Mary, I do want to say, um, Bernie, the only thing that he said when he touched on it was he didn't clarify exactly. And I, I have been experiencing the same thing, Mary, the 444, the 222, 1111. I've been experiencing this for a couple of years now. Bernie did say, um, he said, I just feel like the Lord just wants unity in his church. That was the only thing that he said. So I didn't know if, if Pastor Sylvia or Krista, you or anyone else wanted to address 
um, that at all. The Holy Spirit is um, anything with that, or do we want to wait until Bernie's on again? I know Krista and I have talked about this before, and we just we just pray about it because it, you know you hear different things. I know Carolyn Hyde has told me uh, in an email she was very significant. <laughs> And that's all she said. So I just take it to Jesus. But when it happens, it's undeniable. It is in my face. I am not looking for it. So I don't know if anybody has anything on that. Well, I too have seen numbers in the past. And that's why you and I've had those conversations because I also saw 444 and I'd see it a lot. But, you know, for me, I'm just, I just am have discerned through it to um, just wait on the Lord, because I don't, I have not come out with answer, answers for that. Personally, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have also seen those same kind of things like Carolyn Hyde and others, um, some other people in Malaysia that have said the same things, but I've also read that there's, um, there's thoughts that it, that it could be, you know, trying to be a distraction to us as well. So I don't know. I don't know personally how I feel about the numbers. I think it is something that you have to take to the Lord. Um, because for me, I'm just choosing to like, you know, be led by him through the scriptures. And if he is trying to get my attention in some other way, like to show me, you know, he's going to have to bring that clarity. He's not the author of confusion. So, you know, he's not going to bring anything to our life that's we can't ever figure out. And we're just now starting to focus on number, number, numbers. And what could this mean? And going down all these rabbit holes and not having any answers. I think that actually could potentially be the enemy also trying to come as an angel of light because he does that, trying to get us distracted. And so to me, I just feel like we have to be cautious. That's personally how I feel about it. I'm not saying it's not of the Lord, but I'm saying we have to truly seek the Lord for the answer. And if he's trying to show you something, he will reveal it because, you know, he reveals things to his people, you know, and he's not going to show us something and then give us nothing. You know, he says, if you ask me for bread, do I give you a stone? You know, so if we're asking for wisdom, he says he'll give it liberally. So if we're getting something and it's confusing to us, he's not the author of confusion. So that's all I would say, just in my two cents. So I have just personally with the numbers kind of just left it. Um, the thoughts, like if I see it, I'm like, okay, I acknowledge that I saw it, acknowledge that I saw it, but I still just leave it with the Lord. And Lord, if you're trying to show me something, help me to see what, what it is, you know, that I need to see. And then I just, and I've searched through scriptures, like, does that mean this particular book and this particular verse? And so I've looked through all these things and it could mean that, but I think that you have to have discernment and use wisdom and um not get caught up Amen. Amen. just thoughts mm -hmm. i agree okay um what um krista was telling actually that's what i wanted to share <laughs> um numbers god reveals numbers yes very true and um and if you're waiting for an answer the one that you should seek is the lord himself because he specifically gave you the numbers. And um, I'm not saying, uh, I actually, I would agree on Bernie when he said, uh, speaks of unity. So, but uh, the unity, the way God is saying is that, and uh, that we have to seek him. But at the same time, the devil puts this thought is I must go seeking for the answer. So you keep going and asking everyone. Yes, what, um, uh, 
Caroline was telling this is a very significant number. God is actually taking us on a journey of knowing the way he teaches. When you are a baby Christian, he gives you the answers straight away. But when you are an adult Christian maturing in the Lord, he wants you to teach you who do you need to seek. You will see, seek him at the right time. You will get the answer for the numbers. But if you keep constantly, oh, uh, is this the number? Is this, it means, is that, is the meaning everything? What happened? One classic example. Uh, we, we had a group of people in a prime ministry. And she, uh, when she thinks of a number, she gets a scripture. She thinks of a number, she gets a scripture. And what happened is everybody had a number. They didn't ask a lot. They kept asking her. And she kept giving scriptures after scripture. So I wonder what I asked. So what is the scripture for you? She never said anything. And because I felt that it was like, she has become like a soothsayer, giving numbers. And uh, she didn't like that. And eventually she didn't like the person. She gave a different scripture. When she liked the person, she gave a different scripture. And um, so happened, the few of us were seeking the Lord, reading the word. We knew that she went, event, initially she started right. Eventually she went according to her emotions and, and desires and passion. But when the numbers come, is constantly coming to you, Mary and Chantal. Wait on the Lord, not wait on the number. At the right time, God will reveal to you because the numbers came to you. And then someone else will confirm. And God will stir in your heart. We, he actually puts this stirring because he wants us to really seek the Lord. And over this lockdown, and even now at the altar of prayer, and now the tour of truth, when there's no camera, initially for me, I must have contact. When I speak, I must have eye contact. But along this way, when God drew me, being a missionary from country to country, he broke every culture and everything. And then after that, the lockdown came where I can't see eyes. I can't, I only can see name. For me, it was initially it was difficult. But then when I sought the Lord, the Lord is saying, you cannot see me, but you need to know who I am. And that was, that is a learning. I have not mastered it, but it's a, that's what God is saying. If we want to walk by faith, we don't have to see him, but know him. And it's a knowing him that will see us through. Because in the last days, there will be a lot of deception. You know, today I can be saying something of the Lord. Tomorrow I'm, I'm in a bad mood. My words will be muffled. And then the following day, the third day, I'm in a right mood and I'm seeking the Lord. It will be true. So, but if we are constantly, you know, relying on the Lord, then you will know, hey, Shira is going on the emotions. So you will... You will correct me. I need that correction too. Because I'm a pastor, I'm all perfect. No. And I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. And and, uh, and the other thing I wanted to say about why churches have to be very particular about who is giving. I learned it the hard way when I'm a pastor. I had this children ministry. 
reaching out to orphans and all that. So here was my dear relative, very close to her, so dearly, but he was walking, he, he was walking in the wrong way. And uh, what he was caring, he was loving, he's ever ready to help people. And, uh, and uh, you know, we call, we, we tell ourselves, oh, they are pre-believers, we are reaching out to them. So once, you know, and, and he was doing well. So one day what he did is he wanted to bless the children ministry with and all that stuff. So for me, it was like, wow, this is a pre-believer. So I'll take it and I blessed it. I, I blessed the children and all that. Suddenly, we were hit with financial crisis. And, and I was repenting, 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 repenting. But little did I know, you know, for my mind was like, Oh, this guy is a good man and he's a pre-believer, so it's okay, fine. But talk, God demonstrated with me. He took me on a journey for one year. My husband, Theodore, and myself took us on a journey for one year. And we were like really seeking the Lord, really reading the scriptures and all that. And after one year, then I found out that was just that little, as far as he's concerned, Kelly is freely, Kelly willingly giving. But in that one year, not only were we were hit in the financial crisis, but the children, the orphans, were the ones who really paid the price because everything, you know, they were confused. They were because they felt that in the spiritual realm, it was really affecting them because we opened a portal because we are conjuring. They act. In my side, I'm saying he's a pre-believer. But on, in the devil's side, you have opened doors for me to hit the very thing that you're reaching out. And not only that, because I was like indirectly telling him it's okay. And you know what? He, for me, it, this happened 20 years back. And he never really stood for the Lord, only at his deathbed a few years back. And that was a, a price I had to pay. And he, he if, if only I had made the stand that time and really journeyed with him, he would have enjoyed the fullness of who of who he is as a child of God. So I am still really not mastered it. I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes. But the word of God really helps us to satisfy. Not because he's imposing law, but that is the only way that leads to life to us and the people around. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to say for me personally, I have been blessed by this because this has really been eye-opening to me about just, again, it links back to um, how can light and dark have fellowship? They can't. They can't. And so, and that's in the New Testament that we aren't supposed to be unequally yoked. We aren't supposed to take funds for ministry from unbelievers or to seek them. You know, it makes perfect sense and it does line up. And it's just really eye-opening for me tonight, personally.
Krista, can I um, just make a, a couple more things? Statements. Yes. I just want to, again, challenge everyone. Remember, when the scripture was originally written, it didn't have all that chapter, verse, all that stuff. So please don't get caught up in the trail of following numbers. Follow the word of God. Amen. Seek God with all of your heart because we must be careful that we don't get into mysticism. We don't get into all those numerology and all that stuff. Those are gods. Those are spirits. Amen. You know, people gamble. They gamble based on the numbers and all of that. Seek God and find out. But what is sure and true is the word of God. And if God wants you to know something based on that, he will tell you, don't get lost. Deception and the way is so thick, but it's so subtle. And you won't even know that you've gone off in following after something else that is not according to the gospel and scripture. Amen. It has its place, but it's not a major thing. So, you know, if you see, I keep saying, da, 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 okay, that's good. Ask the Lord. And if you don't get any answer, go back to reading the word, sharing the word, looking, God, what are you saying to me? Amen. We got to be ever so careful because the wave of deception is stronger than it's ever been. And then the last thing I want to say is that we do have to challenge ourselves because I would like to think that, you know, um, I address every issue when it conflicts with what the word of God says. But there are times when I know that I have not. And why do I say that? Is because there was a time in my life when I was pre-choice. And I would tell you, I'm a Christian. I was pre-choice. But I would tell you that I'm a Christian. But when I read the word of God now, I know what God's stance is, regardless of what the world says, when it comes to taking a life, murder in any shape, form, or fashion. It's different when you go out to war, but I'm talking about murder. And even with the agenda, as uh, Connie was talking about earlier, we gotta be ever so careful. Transgender, homosexual, LGBTQ, all of that stuff. Do we really stand in light of that if the whole church is now moving in that, and even that woke stuff, are we standing firm? Am I more a Christian than I am my ethnicity? Or have I allowed myself to be swayed? And then I begin to start thinking more like for me, a black woman than a Christian. See, I'm a Christian who happened to be black. I'm not a black Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be black. So the things that I believe and what I stand for has to be this word. And I have to stand up in the opposition, even if no one else looks like me or don't look like me, agree. But we all say we're Christian. If it's not of God, it's not of God. It's not of God. And we have to take those stands, even if you don't invite me to any more of your stuff. Amen. I still need to tell you wrong is wrong. And right is right. Mm -mm. I want to awake to scripture, but I don't want to wake to this culture. Amen. We've got to be careful, saints. That's all. Thanks. 
Well, amen. I'm going to clear it up as well, because same thing on my end, um, it has been, I've been seeing it for years too. And I'm the only reason I mentioned it is because Bernie uh, mentioned it. And so I just, I never heard him really go into anything about it. I missed that. And that's why I mentioned it again, but it certainly isn't anything I'm researching. And I also am seeking God, what does this mean? And honestly, I can say that it's been, and I know it's been for the last couple of years and I'm still saying, what does this mean? Since he mentioned it, that's why I mentioned it, but that's as far as I'm taking it. Thank you, everybody. Well, these are good conversations, you know, and iron sharpens iron in all of this, you know, to share our experiences and even to share things where there could possibly be deception, you know, because the Bible says that the deception is going to be so strong that if it were possible that even the elect would be deceived. I mean, so there's a lot of things we just have to, you know, keep our eyes open and our ears open and our, our hearts set on him and fixed on him, you know, and, and in the word abiding, like Chantel said, and we won't be um, pulled off on a rabbit trail. Praise the Lord. And I will say that once I start kind of resolved in my heart that Lord, if you are trying to show me something, I'm going to need you to show me either another way or, you know, um, make it really clear. It just stopped. It just stopped happening. You know, it's almost like I just decided I'm not, I'm not like looking for that anymore. Like, I'm just not going to pay attention unless God makes it clear to me that there's some meaning behind it. And so from that point on, it sort of just went away for me. Every, I can't say I never seen one, but it was, it was happening a lot and now it's not. So I don't know what to think of that other than praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. And so with that, we have gone over. So I'm just going to ask if um, maybe Lois, would you mind closing us out in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to come together and um, just thank you for the word that we have received. Thank you for the fellowship that we continue to develop with each other and that each one of us can continue to draw closer to you. Thank you so much for um just the wisdom that you continue to put forth through our our leaders. Thank you for Krista and for, um, I'm sorry, Pastor Sylvia. We are so grateful, Father, that we have this opportunity to come together every week and to discuss your word and to draw closer to you through it and draw closer to each other and lift each other up and grateful that you have allowed us to continue to grow as a family. We just pray that each one goes to, into this week with um, a deeper understanding of your word and bless everyone and help us come back together again this next week and help everyone remember that Wednesday night is prayer or Wednesday day is prayer and um, just be with us as we go throughout this week and bless every appointment that we have and let us give you glory in all that we do. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And I just want to say, we love you. We really, really love you. This is our family and we are just delighted to be able to do this every week. And so um, with that, we'll just bless you in the name of the Lord and look forward to seeing you back on Monday. And hopefully um, you'll be able to keep up through the week with the videos online at Tour of Truth by Pastor Shira. And uh, anyway, just keep that in mind. You've got a family here that loves you. 
And so we'll just continue to keep meeting together and growing in unity in the Lord. Amen. Bye-bye. Shabbat shalom.